Today's sermon is entitled 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We're going to continue on in this exciting sermon series. And last week I talked a little bit about evangelism. And Paul said there were certain things that we should not do when we go out and evangelize and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Always check your motives. Make sure the reason why you're going out there is for the honor and the glory of God the Father in heaven and not that of your own. And make sure as you go out there your motives are always pure. In other words, you're completely in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're living your life for him. After Paul gets done telling the Thessalonians, these are the things that I don't want to do when I proclaim the good news. Then he goes on, he basically says, there are certain things that I want to do. There are certain seeds of righteousness that I want to plant in a certain manner. But in order to do so, there's certain things that I can do within my own life and the way that I approach evangelism that will help it be more effective. Of course, we know according to God's holy word, we can plant seeds of righteousness and that's it. It's the Holy Spirit who actually converts a person from death to life. If you're born again, everybody's born again the same way, through the Holy Spirit, not through our own abilities, that's for sure, or anybody else's. But that being said, Paul is saying here, I don't want to do anything to detract from the gospel message, and I want to tell the people of this world what Jesus actually means to me. Well, many of us, ultimately all of us, I should say, have these huge planks of sin within our own very eyes, and we're called to go out like lambs amongst the wolves. We're called to do so with great courage. The truth is, if you want to go tell this world about Jesus Christ, there's only one way, the way, the truth, and the life unto the Father, just one, then you're going to run into a lot of problems. The world doesn't like that message. They want to hear the way they're living their lives is perfect, just the way they're doing it. And if you're going to go out and tell them, oh, by the way, you're not going to make it to heaven because you don't believe in Jesus, then you know what? They're not going to like that very much. But the truth is we don't need to be scared of the world. Greater is he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. Even though we are like lambs amongst the wolves, contained within us is God himself. And as a result of that, we don't need to be worried about other people. We can boldly go out to this world and tell them how much Jesus means to us. This is wonderful, isn't it? But here's the thing. Just because all of this is true, we got to be very careful with the truth. we got to realize that when we go out and tell the truth, we've got to do so in a manner that is worthy of the gospel message in the first place. Like Paul, we pray to the Good Shepherd that in the face of opposition, we might stand firm, very firm in our faith, no matter where we go or what we do. May our attentions be pure, centered on the heralding his righteousness, to find favor in his sight rather than seeking approval of other individuals. For they love the praise of of men more than God. We don't want anyone to say that about us. When we go out in the world, we want everyone to look through us and see the Lord. See the fact that the Lord is reigning in our lives and then wonder, what have you got that I don't have? I guess thinking now that we explored some of the things to avoid and proclaim the good news, Paul says ultimately there's things that we need to do if we're going to make disciples of all nations. Apostle was only in Thessalonica approximately three to four weeks. We learned that a couple of weeks ago. And the truth is, is that the church was established and it was growing exponentially. And you can see it in the map. It's the very top of the map, Thessalonica. But there were foreign gods around Paul everywhere. And the truth is, is when we go out and we tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, we got to follow Paul's lead. Paul didn't go to Thessalonica and say, oh, by the way, I want to get 
more attendance for the church. I want to sell, so to speak, God's holy word to the, to the culture in order to make them feel good about themselves. Paul didn't say, I want to fill all the pews of the church at any and all costs, like some churches do today. Instead, what Paul said with incredible and unspeakable joy, he said, I want to get out into the world and I want to tell them the truth, regardless of the way they might react to that truth. It's challenging, I think, in a diverse culture that we live in today. In Paul's day, he was faced with Roman citizens, and they believed in many gods. They had thousands of gods that they believed in. Paul was wrestling with them because he was saying there's but just one God. You can see how that wouldn't be very favorable, how the people wouldn't enjoy that very much, especially when Paul said, I don't bow to the emperor. I'm not going to. He's not a god. And the Roman people thought that he was. Now, we've got the same problem that's going on today. Many people have many different kinds of gods, and they believe in many different things. The real God that they believe in the most is the God of self. And as a result of that, when we go out in the world and tell them there is only one way to into heaven, they look at us and go, wait a minute now, we don't necessarily like the message. Now, today's sermon is going to focus on positive things. What do we do when we get out in the world? How do we present the gospel message the way the Lord wants us to, not the way society wants us to do? we got to convince people, ultimately, to give up their gods, and they got many of them, and to go with just Jesus Christ, the God of Israel. And, and, and the question becomes, how do we convince them to do that? What is the right way? We don't want to appease them, but at the same time, we want to inspire them. We want to encourage them. We want to tell them what the Lord means to us. And then hopefully, through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, they're going to come and say, I want to know Jesus too as well. The first thing I want to focus on, though, is how do we ultimately become effective evangelism by sharing and caring for the people around us? In other words, it's, it's impossible, I think, to go out in the world and say, I don't like them. I actually hate them. I don't like the way they live their lives. I can't see the image of God in the people that I see out in this world. We can't go out and tell them all about Jesus when we don't love them to begin with. You can't do it. The truth is, is that we got to get out there, we got to share, we got to tweet, we got to chat, we got to search for people, we got to tell them about the good news, we got to become friends with them, we've got to show them what Christ means to us. There is a relational component, in other words, to this thing called evangelism. In other words, we've got to see them as important. What the, how does God see them? He sees them as people, as individuals that created in his image, that he wants them all to be saved. He doesn't want any of them to perish, according to scripture. We got to feel the same way. And I know that's not very easy, is it? There's many people that we meet, we look at their lifestyle and we say, whew, I really don't like you. I don't like the way that you act or talk or walk. And I don't like the fact that you don't like me at all. But we still got to love them. And that's the first component of effective evangelism is love, definitely. Rather than seeking praise or personal gain, Paul said, you know what, I'm going to take on the role first of an infant, second as a mother, and later on we're going to find out as a father. But let's start off with the first image that Paul says. He says, I want to be like a young child, like an infant that you see in the picture. Philo, the important Jewish writer, said this, it is impossible for the greatest liar to invent a charge against infants. Paul says the same. He says, I am, when it comes to the gospel message, as innocent as I possibly can be. He's not saying sinless, but he's saying, when I go out, my motives are to show you Christ, to show you the gospel message, to live that gospel message. I have no other motives whatsoever. 
I'm not trying to get money out of you. I'm not even necessarily trying to get you to come to my church so I can boast about the wonderful numbers that I have. I'm just trying to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want you to be adopted, not only into God's family, but into the family called the church, but not for my glory, but for God's glory. In essence, Paul was urging the Thessalonians to regard him as an innocent infant, not like a cynic philosopher, not like somebody was trying to get something from them. He's trying to tell them about the beautiful gift and the pearl that he found in the field. Moving to the second metaphor, Paul says this. He says, I want to care for you. And he said, I did my very best possible. I cared for you like a mother caring for a child. This is the way he says we're supposed to go out in the world. Yes, we will find many people who don't like us, and some of them are going to hate us. Jesus said that. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So we already got the promise from the Lord that if we go out in the world and tell them about Christ, people are going to hate us. They're not going to really enjoy us. They're going to ostracize us. They're going to keep us out of their circle of friends. That's okay. You know what the reality is, is that we're not out there to necessarily make friends at all costs. We're out there to develop relationships and show them the Lord the best that we can. Paul states his love for Thessalonians was sincere. I went up and I told you all about Jesus because I love you. It's comparable, Paul says, to a mother loving her child. He said, I love you very much and I want you to know God. I wanted you to know who God is. He went out with incredible gentleness. I don't think all Christians do go out gentle, do they? They tend to go out in the world and they tend to be very harsh, legalistic. They tend to point their condescending finger to the world and say, you're really messing up. But the truth is, is that when you do that, you get a whole bunch of fingers pointing back at yourself. We sin all the time. So we got to be very careful when we go out in the world that we do so with gentleness, the same gentleness that Jesus Christ showed us. The humility of Christ, who said, you know what, I consider being in heaven and everybody knowing who I am, God, not something to be grabbed a hold of. Jesus came and was born amongst us. Very few people knew who he was. Arguably, it took him very long to figure out his identity. And the reality is, is that he lived amongst us, served us, died for us. And it says in the Bible, while we were his enemies, Christ died. So we didn't open arms, welcome him at all. Actually, we went against him, but Jesus chose to do all that anyway. He knew before the beginning of time he would have to do this in order to save us. And he did it openly and freely, it says in scripture. This is the way we're supposed to be with the world. We're supposed to sit back and say like a mother, a mother who sacrifices for her children, we should be willing to sacrifice for the people of this world that are lost. Think about that for a moment. If you're a mom, how many times have you got up in the middle of the night and took care of your child? How many times have you dropped absolutely everything that you were doing or might have wanted to do and, and, and dealt with your child? How many times did you sacrifice your own personal needs for that of your children? This is the way Paul said he was with the Church of Thessalonians and the way we're supposed to be with this world. Paul demonstrated his selfless love for them by working tirelessly. It's hard to reach people for the Lord. It takes time. I noticed that inside of the churches, it's much easier to ask somebody for money nowadays. You can say, look, I, we need more money in order to pay for certain things in the church. And you can usually ask people for money, and they might be willing to give you some money to help out the ministry of God. But if you ask them for time, that's something completely different. Time today is a far bigger premium. People have what they need in North America. They don't need more money. And, and time has become such a commodity. It's such a scarcity. We fill our lives with so many things that when the Lord knocks on our door and says, I want you to serve, we sit back and say, Lord, I'm too busy. So Paul's saying here, I gave sacrificially my time to you. 
Why? Because I love you very much so. And I put your interest and your needs first rather than that of my own. Rather than asserting his authority over the Thessalonians, Paul prioritized his well, their well-being. He emphasized with their sorrows. He celebrated with their joys. He shared openly his own struggles with them. And at the same time, he was more than willing to wash their feet. When you go out in the world, are you like that? Are you somebody who ultimately you can say, you know what? I love them. I'm going to serve them with all my heart. Are you like that? When we meet people who clearly live their lives in opposition to God's word, it is very easy to condemn them for their sins, isn't it? While it's important not to dilute the truth about the destination of hell for those who are on the broad path, we must not overlook at the same time the critical message that Christ has of grace. While you were my enemies, Jesus said, I died for you. All of you, like each one of us. We've got to understand that there's got to be some grace that we offer to this world. We've got to tell them about God's love and grace and that they can be reconciled unto the Father in heaven by believing in the Son. We've got to tell them all about that with gentleness and great humility that Christ, he saved a wretch like us. Think of all the sins you've done. How many times have you offended him? How many times have you gone against the Lord? And here it is, here it is. We got to look at that and say, look at all the grace I've received. Now offer that to the world. Let's go out into the world and speak boldly about the good news, but let's do so with humility and love for them. The second thing that Paul says, there's a great witness by labor, a huge witness about our labor. And I think this is really true. To be effective in evangelism, one must be willing to sacrifice much for the kingdom of God. One's time ultimately must be given for the sake of other people. Know that he was entrusted with a message ultimately that was not a human origin, but a divine one. That made all the difference to Paul. Paul sat back and said, I know the words that I have been given to write to the various churches came from God and not from myself. He's sitting back saying, I want to tell them about the Lord. Why? Because I've experienced the Lord. And I want to tell them all about them. He had a profound message, and that message was so profound to Paul that he sat back and said, this is why I give my time. It's because this message is way too important to keep it hid under a lamp. Remember in the Bible, it says, you know what? Let your light shine. Don't hide it. Let it shine. Are you doing that? Paul worked day and night to ensure that no one could ever question his motives, but also that he might provide the I think the Thessalonians, and he did it not only in Thessalonica, he did it in his letters for Ephesians, Ephesus, for uh, Colossae, for Galatia, for all of the churches that he wrote to, he showed them sacrificial love by not being a burden to them, but actually putting their interest above his own. Are we doing the same to our society? Well, as an apostle, Paul had the right to demand food, lodging, and pay. He chose not to. He worked in leatherworking, and basically he built tents. As a result of that, he said, I'm going to provide for myself. I'll ask nothing from you financial. All I want to do is tell you about the Lord. Even the Philippians, who sent him offerings for his daily expenses, he sat back and said, that's not enough for me to live on, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to work, and I won't ask you for nothing. What I want to do is tell you about the Lord. That's all I'm interested in. Between manual labor and evangelism, basically, then, Paul had double vocation. He sat back and said, I work tirelessly. I work, and many times I went without sleep, he told the churches, but I did this because I love you. I love the Lord, especially, Paul said, and I've been serving the Lord by loving you and showing you what it means to sacrifice your time. 
Paul believed that maintaining self-sufficiency was absolutely critical for upholding his integrity in the ministry that he was given. He ultimately looked at Christ's humility and said, I want to imitate that humility the best I can. He prioritized the interest of other people above his own. And as a result of that, he said, I will work. Now, we got to understand what Paul's saying here. This is a tough passage. He's saying in a Roman culture, he's saying in this Greco-Roman culture that he worked, did manual labor. Now, we got to understand in that day, manual labor was considered to be awful. You were the lowest of all society. Everybody looked down upon you if you did manual labor. And of course, Paul's saying, I'm willing to take a step down the social ladder in society, basically by working. Whatever God wants me to do, Paul says, I'm going to take a step down that social ladder because I know it's the right thing to do. Think about that for a moment. Every time that we go out and we tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, the people that believe in multiple gods, are we not taking a step down the social ladder? The answer is yes. The more we tell people about the Lord, the more they're not going to like our message. John talked about this. He said, they will not approach the light. Why? Because the light exposes their evil, their sin, their bad deeds, the dark path that they're on. And as a result of that, the more you speak the gospel message, the more the people are going to ostracize you and keep you out of their social circles. So Paul's saying, I made a huge sacrifice. The people in this place called Thessalonica, and in the end, also Corinth and Athens and everywhere else, they didn't accept me as their own. Why? Because I wasn't part of their own. I wasn't worshiping the foreign gods. I wasn't worshiping the emperor. I was worshiping God the Father in heaven. He chose to work tirelessly to show them, I will step down that social ladder in this world. Why? Because I'm not seeking the praise of people. I'm seeking the praise of God. And if God wants me to do this, I'm all in. Paul could have expected the Thessalonians to do many things for him, but he chose not to. He sat back and said, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like not to have much of anything at all. And he said, in all situations, Christ will strengthen me. I've learned to be content in all situations that God asked me to be in. Are you content when he asks you to go out and preach the gospel news, even when it becomes a little bit difficult or it takes a lot of work? Are you willing to be have a labor of love, so to speak, uh, Thessalonians 1.3? Are you willing to do that for this world? Whether in plenty or need, Paul knew this. Christ would be glorified. Christ would be magnified in and through his life. He would speak and do whatever Christ told him to speak and do. He would do that because he was deeply in love with Christ and the people. And I got thinking, Paul's decision to accept or decline funds from the church is a real one. He sat back and said, you know what, I'm not going to take anything from you. But this is a strange passage because when we look at it from Philippi, he was willing to take money from them. And he was because he had such a unique and beautiful relationship with them. And they were not questioning his motives at all. And they wanted to give that gift because they were given unto the Lord in the way they were looking at it. But Paul said in Thessalonica, I don't want you to give me anything. And this is important for us to understand when we do evangelism. Why are we doing it? Are we looking at the needs of the individual? You see, Paul looked at Thessalonica and said, I need you to know my motives are pure so that the people around me will know that the message is pure. I need you not to give me anything so everybody will sit back and focus on the gospel message and that alone. While contemplating the ministry entrusted to you by God, do you prioritize the well-being of the other person rather than that of yourself? Are you looking at what they ultimately need? 
Do you focus only on your own interests and how difficult it is to tell them about Jesus? Or you sit back saying, you know what, Lord? What do you want me to do? Because whatever you want me to do, I'm all in. I will do it. I will tirelessly go out there and feed the poor or go help the widows or I'll go out and help the homeless or I'll go help whoever you want me to. Whoever you want me to speak to, Lord, I'm all in. Even if it costs me time, even if it means I can't work overtime at work, let's say, and I'm going to take a financial hit for that, I'll still do it, Lord. And if you want me to take some of my money and give it away to the poor as a testimony of your love and grace towards them, I'll do that as well. Do you feel that way? When you go out for evangelism, are you looking at their needs first? And the third thing Paul talks about is he says, if you want to be effective in evangelism, then you've got to provide the example of holiness to the people around you. Paul's not saying sinless. Paul's saying you have to be holy. In other words, you have to strive to reject the gods of this world and serve the God in heaven, the only God that exists. You know what? The truth is, is that Paul's sitting back saying to the leaders uh, of all these different places, all these wonderful people, he's saying, oh, by the way, I am not looking for anything, but I do want to tell you one thing. I live this message. I believe so strongly in God's message. I am striving every day to be faithful to the Lord. Are you doing that when you go out in the world? You know, the people of this world can spot a phony a million miles away. If you're not genuinely in love with Jesus Christ, they'll know that. And Paul says, I'm genuinely in love with him. I'm all in. Paul also says, oh, by the way, I realize this might seem like very cheap words. Often when we go out in the world, we tell people things. They think, oh, yeah, you don't really mean that. Words tend to be cheap nowadays, don't they? People don't always say what they mean. And the truth is, Paul says, oh, by the way, to the Thessalonians and to all the Roman people around him, he says, I'm going to call a witness in relating to me. And he says, if I told you I'm blameless, I'm holy, I'm going to call in a witness that you can't refute. And he said, I'm calling the Lord in. And he says, I'm asking you, Lord, to search my heart, O Lord. And if you see any sin in me, identify it, show it to me, show it to the world. Because I want them to know I am striving to be holy. I'm striving to be holy. Paul openly admitted to the believers that ultimately he would not bother with the civic cults. He would not bow to foreign gods. He would not bow to the emperor. Instead, what he would do is serve Jesus Christ with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, you know what? If I'm going to tell them about Jesus, I better be living for him. And he was. And that's beautiful. And he says, I live for him so much so that I am willing to say, Jesus Search me, O Lord, like the psalmist said. Search me, O God. You know me. You know when I rise. You know when you know my thoughts. You know everything about me, every motive and everything I ever do. Search me, O Lord, and help me stay on the right track. Is that your prayer when you go out in the world? It matters. It really does that when we run the race, ultimately, we've got to run that race in a good way. We've got to run that race with our eyes fixed on Christ. He ultimately is the one. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. And we got to sit back and say, Lord, I really want to serve you the right way. Help me, oh Lord. You ever felt when you go out in the world that you're not worthy? I mean, none of us really are. It's only through the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that we're actually worthy. But the truth is, is that sometimes we go out in the world and we think, uh-oh, they're going to see all my sin. Therefore, should I really go out? And for many Christians, they don't because of that reason. I say a better response when you look at your own sin is not to disqualify you from service, but that should inspire you to repent 
Forgive me, O Lord, for I have sinned against you and you alone. And ask him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will wash all your sins as white as snow and then get out there and serve. That's what we need to do. This is what Paul's telling them. Get out there and serve with all your heart. I wonder how many Christians today have lost sight of the righteous boundaries that God has set for their lives. The truth is the Bible tells us the things we ought to do and not do. It is a love letter from God himself. He's defining righteousness and holiness, and he's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who's allowed to define what is right in his sight. And when God tells us there's certain things we should do and other things that we shouldn't, are we allowing those things in the Bible, those verses, those beautiful passages to modify and change our lives? Are we sitting back saying to the world, I will not disobey God? No, even if it does please you, even if it means that you might come to the church, I'm still not going to displease God. I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. And I got thinking, this is the way we should be living for him. Living for Jesus requires submission to his will. That doesn't come easy, especially when we get out in the world that's glorifying self. When we say, I don't live for me, I live for the Lord. We got to mean that. We got to sit back and say, I'm living for Jesus. I got thinking this world, it's not going to like that message. They don't believe that God's ways are higher than their ways. You know what? They don't believe ultimately they're living bad lives. They believe they're living great lives. We got to tell them differently by living our lives for the Lord himself. Paul says, ultimately, be bold. Be bold and live for him. Invite the Lord each day to look at your life, to reset those boundaries. How am I supposed to live my life? According to God's word. Ask the Lord every day, please reset those boundaries for me. In Romans 12, 1 to 2, it says, help me, O Lord, transform my mind every day so that it conforms to your word. Every day, keep showing me what is right and enabling me to do so. And the last thing that Paul talks about is encouragement. I think when we get out in the world, we can't go out condemning the world, but encouraging them to become saved. I think in the church too, we sadly don't have a lot of people who are encouragers. I think we desperately need them. I'll tell you a quick story. At one of the churches that I preached at, there was this fellow who came up to me and he said, you know what? I can't sing, okay, and I can't really play any instruments, okay, and I really am very, very shy. I can't get up in front of people because I, I just I'm scared of public speaking. And he sat back and said, I really don't know how I fit inside of God's kingdom, and I don't really feel like I'm doing much. And I looked at him and said, oh, on contrary, I have watched the way that you live your life. You are one of the most encouraging people I have in the entire church. You're right there for them every moment of every single Sunday. You're encouraging them in their ministry. You are a breath of fresh air, my friend. And he was. We need more encouragers. We need especially, ultimately, and Paul talks about, now he talks about, I was like a dad to all of you. In other words, he said, I nurtured you. I was like a caring mother he talked about before, but now he says, I'm like a dad to you. I teach you and train you in the ways of righteousness. And I think we desperately need that. In Paul's day, after the age of five, fathers were responsible ultimately to instruct their children, especially in regard to the teaching of the ways of the Lord. Paul tells the Thessalonians that he became their surrogate father through Jesus Christ in the Lord. Paul said, I want you to imitate me, Silas, and Timothy, but only to the extent that I am following the Lord. Ultimately, we're supposed to be imitators of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Paul could have lorded his position over them, but instead said, I want you to imitate Christ, and you will see the way to live your life by the way I'm trying to live my life, and I want you to imitate that desire to be more like God. The Thessalonians were become imitators of the Lord, and it was so very important because Paul said, I want you to become more like him. Paul urged them, do not live as people of this world. He said, live as if this world is not your home, and it isn't your home. You know, we look at the beauty of all creation that's around us, and we're often tempted to say, this is a beautiful spot. And it is. There's so much beauty that God created. But the truth is, this is not our home. We are citizens in heaven. Ultimately, right now, we are citizens of heaven. And his kingdom has already come, but not fully come yet. And the truth is, Jesus is going to come and get us one day. But the truth is, we're supposed to live for him now. I got thinking about that. I read it in one of the commentators. They said this. They said, God does not have one standard on earth and another in heaven. Think about that for a moment. God wants us to live as citizens of heaven now while we're still on earth. Let that sink in. That's tough. I read that and I'm really humbled by that because I struggle to live as if I'm already in heaven. Paul said, you must be holy as God is holy. Ultimately, it would be absolutely futile for us to go out in the world and tell them all about the Lord if we don't love the Lord, if we're not born again, if we're not actually serving him, then we're not going to get very far in the world. Paul says, I want you to be holy in all the things that you do. And it might seem like, you know, sinners saved by grace through faith with a whole bunch of specks of sin in their eyes. Why would they ever go out in the world and try to tell the world all about Christ? Because it's our struggle that matters. It's the truth is, is that they need to hear our struggle. They need to hear how much we love the Lord, how we struggle, how we do sin, but we get forgiven when we ask the Lord to forgive us and how we're trying to be good citizens of heaven now. They need to hear that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It's for by grace ye are saved through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. They need to know and understand it's through being reborn of the water and the spirit that we're capable of even attaining some resemblance of holiness in the first place. We want the world to know that they can be saved too. We want them to know that our goal is to please God by telling them all about the Lord. Now let's think about this. I know that when Paul uses an analogy of either mother or father, that can be a little bit disturbing, especially the father figure. Not everybody has had a good dad. I was blessed. My mom and my dad were amazing. They were good Christian people. They always treated us with absolute love and respect. And and I, I love my mom and dad all to pieces. And and I was so blessed to have them. And And my dad's still alive even today, and he's an absolute blessing to me. He's a great man of God. I got thinking, though, there's many people in this world that can't say that, unfortunately. Paul ultimately says that uh, a fatherly figure is what he became to the Thessalonians. But I think, truthfully, God is our Father in heaven, too, as well. Paul wanted them to know that the Father in heaven loves them very dearly and sent his son to die on the cross for them. He created us in his, in his image for the express purpose of us knowing him, God the Father in heaven, becoming adopted by him, becoming his very own children. And I got to think, wow, isn't that beautiful? So I got to ask you the question, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you asked him into your heart? You know, if you haven't, your destination's hell. There's no other way of getting around it. You will not make it to heaven. But you don't have to stay in that plight. You know, the truth is, God loved me so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for me. 
And the truth is, I didn't deserve that kind of, of, of wonder and that kind of beauty and that kind of grace and that kind of mercy. I didn't deserve it even slightly, not even a little bit, but he still did it. And because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I get to go to heaven. But here's the wonderful part. So can you. I'm no better than you are. I sin. I still fall short of God's glory. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm trying to be holy. And I'm trying to live for Jesus. And the question is, are you saved? Because if you're not saved, then you're not making it there. And if you are saved, the other question I have for you is, are you living a good and holy life? Let your light shine to this world because they need to know the Lord before it's too late. In conclusion, I get thinking about this beautiful letter of Paul. He's saying, ultimately, there's a part for us to play in evangelism. Yes, when somebody gets born again, that's God's part. Only God can take a person and take them from death to life. Only God can impart and seal his Holy Spirit within another person. He's the only one that can do that. We can't do that. There's not a pastor out there or anybody else who's ever saved a single individual anywhere. Definitely not. But there are pastors out there. And there are people, lay people everywhere, who have planted seeds of righteousness. This is what the Lord wants us to do. The fields are ripe. We got to get out there and tell them, why do we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? We got to tell the world all about it. The world seems to care too much for themselves and too little for other people. And we got to show them that we really care for them first and foremost. We really love them. Of course, we love God first, but we also love them. And we got to make sure they understand that. We got to get out in the world and tell them we live our lives differently, not because we are better than them, but because Jesus Christ has saved us and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We don't serve many gods. We serve but one God. And we know the truth and the life, and that's the only way that we're going to get to heaven. And we know that. We got to tell the world about that. You know what? The truth is we do fall short of God's glory. And as a result, sometimes I think we feel like Moses when he says, you are a bunch of stiff-necked people, or sometimes we feel like Apostle Peter who says, you know what, stop living like the pagans. But the truth is, is that God still has grace for us. We are still his ambassadors and royal priests, and we're still call called to get out there and say, you know what, I love the Lord, and I want to tell you what he means to me and what he has done for me. Yes, we will go out in the world like wolves, like sheep, sorry, amongst the wolves. Absolutely, that will happen way too often. The truth is the people of this world will not like the message, and we will, we will feel like sheep, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Don't worry about what they're going to say or do. Just worry about their soul. Ask the Lord. Show them the way, the truth, and the life. Allow me, O Lord, to plant seeds of righteousness. Help me, O Lord, to see the image, your image in them, and not all the evil and the wicked that they do, and dismiss them too quickly. May I get out there and tell them all about you. May I tell them, I love you. I've fallen deeply in love with you. We got to endure, I think, ultimately to show holiness to this world, to, to, to let them know that, yes, you can live a different life. You can actually strive to be more like God, the Father in heaven, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can absolutely do that, but you need help. You need to have faith in Jesus. You need to be born again. Tell the world. How does this happen? How can this occur? Because if you're a born-again believer, you already know how. Then tell them before it's too late. Evangelism is a beautiful, wonderful thing. We are always supposed to be ready to give reasons why we have hope in the Lord. Are you ready to tell them? But if we're going to be ready, we've got to be living for them. So are you living for the Lord? And are you letting your light shine to this world? I hope and pray the answer is yes. And watch the wonderful things God does in and through your life. 
Amen and amen.